Welcome to the Grey Wolf Podcast. Things are getting a little bit strange on episode 13 of the Grey Wolf Podcast. It is Ned and John. John, how are you, my man? Very good, man. And this seems like a very appropriate guest for episode 13, where things are getting a bit spooky, as you said. Indeed it is. We have none other than paranormal investigator, Mr. Stephen Shippy on the line. Stephen, how are you? Good, how you doing? Yeah, episode 13, that's not a coincidence, right? <laughs> well, we knew we had to get you in for episode 13 there, man, and it feels a little bit odd calling you Stephen because you are also known as Prozac. I've got to get that out there real quick, but this episode is all about the paranormal, my friend, so we'll try and call you Steve or Stephen throughout. <laughs> It's really been like a case of sort of watch this space for you, man. Underground rapper, signing to Strange Music, releasing epic album after epic album. And, of course, the amazing... Oh, what was that? What's that? Did you hear that? It's like a haunted phone line, man. That was crazy. Something just chopped right through the... What what are you guys hearing? Are you messing with the Steven? (laughs) I'm leaving this in. It's crazy. It's like something's chopping through the phone line. I'm literally just sitting here in a very quiet room. Oh, there, wow, you there you go. That's <laughs> creeped me out a little bit. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing that back. <laughs> I was just saying that you've... What is it, like static or what? It, it almost sounds like radio station static sort of chopping Some sort through of inter- or interference, maybe. Some sort of interference, which is a bit bizarre. Yeah, no, it's definitely not, not for me. Wow, there you go. Things are a little bit creepy here, man. I can sort of feel the hairs (laughs) on the back of my neck standing up. We want to talk about Haunting in the Heartland. It's just wrapped up on the Travel Channel. First up, man, how did this one come about? How did you land your own series? Basically, to make a very long story short, I mean, you know, for those that don't know, I've been releasing a feature-length paranormal investigation documentary every year for the last decade. And, you know, of course, it's gotten bigger and bigger. We have a huge red carpet premiere here in the city of Saginaw, Michigan, where I'm from. And the uh, Haunted Saginaw film series, you know, we do the big red carpet premiere. 4,000 people come every year. It's been sold out throughout the entire decade. And then ultimately, the films got put onto some streaming platforms. And of course, that, you know, gained some attention from people around the country. You know, if I really had to guess, there's been a big surgence of people wanting paranormal content lately, which is interesting because it had a big pop, I guess you could say, in pop culture about 10, 15 years ago, something like that, and then it kind of went away. Well, this is something I do all the time and always have, so to me, it had nothing to do with with, with being a trend, so to speak. You know, I've just stuck with it. It's something I believe in. It's something that I do passionately, and when it kind of came full circle again and people were out looking for this type of content because of all the notoriety that the Haunted Saginaw film series had, we started getting contacted by different production companies. I pretty much ignored most of them based on what they were saying. I just wasn't interested. And a company out of Los Angeles had mentioned that Travel Channel was seriously interested in, in the situation and wanted to help me take it to the next level, a higher level, so to speak, being able to travel around the country. What region would I be most interested in? I told them the Heartland, the Midwest region. That's kind of my stomping grounds where I feel most comfortable. They loved it. They completely agreed. You know, because it was travel, I decided to do it, man, because they get it. A lot of their content is 
of the paranormal and they truly respect it, appreciate it, and it's what they excel in doing. So I felt comfortable with it and they were willing to let me continue my film series so I don't need to stop that. And based on those decisions, it made sense. That's perfect. And I think it is almost a perfect combination there. And look, we will try and veer away from talking about separate cases on the show so we don't spoil it. But one thing that Ned and I spoke about, and I spoke about this with my partner as well, we've watched the series and it's like your approach, it's this sort of no BS, it's very natural and you just report on the facts rather than try and over-dramatise things, which a lot of these sorts of shows do. Do you feel that's really what's drawn the people in to watch it? Well, you know, it's interesting now in hindsight. So the entire series has played out now. All six episodes have aired. And for people that are listening, you know, you can actually purchase the series on Prime. I think it's only like 7 or $8 and you can purchase the whole season. But now that it's aired and all these people have seen it, so now it's like there's a lot of feedback and, and so social media comments and that type of thing. It's always interesting when you're doing something and it's put out, you never really know how people are going to perceive what you do. For years, I've done paranormal investigation, of course, with Haunted Saginaw. So I know very well what tens of thousands of people think in, in my region. But this is a, you know, this is a different audience. It's a television audience and it's a worldwide audience. So I kind of wondered what their take would be because what I do is, is not necessarily similar to what others do whether it be how I investigate or how I react or whatever. But I guess what I can say from the consensus seems to be that people are really enjoying the fact that I guess that I'm a little bit more just matter of fact. This isn't to say that anybody out there is doing anything wrong by any means. I think everyone investigates their own way, their own unique style. I appreciate that 100%, but I just feel that some good old-fashioned investigation, and that means both of the paranormal and interviewing people, and just taking an old-school, matter-of-fact approach, I think is actually refreshing, because I think that almost any industry out there, sometimes it just ramps up and it excels. The need can be there for so much more. Does that make any sense to you guys? Like, more gear, 10 times more gear, a, a new piece of gear every time, or what can we do now? But I think at the end of the day, really the bones of this is you, you need a haunting, you need activity, and you need to document it. You know, and, and most importantly, I think with Haunting of the Heartland as well is you help people. And I think that's a big part of what separates our show from other shows is we're equally or even maybe more so concerned about helping the family with the problem just rather than documenting the audio and the video. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really what sort of makes you stand out. So I know that was a, a long answer, but I hope the answer was, <laughs> was within that. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly what we're saying, Steve, is it's that no BS attitude that you've got that sort of I really feel makes you sort of stand out from the others. And I don't know, man, do you have much to do with other sort of paranormal investigators? Is What's the community like? You know, the community has been pretty cool, man. I, you know, I don't really work with a whole lot of people, but I have worked with some of the greats in the industry and the paranormal community. Steve Gonzalez, of course, one of the original members of TAPS, Ghost Hunters, of course, now investigator on Ghost Nation. He's been incredible, very supportive, awesome guy. Got to meet Jason Hawes when Ghost Nation was filming in, in Detroit. He was a super great guy, reached out to him a couple times on social media. Hell of a nice guy. Nick Groff, super nice dude, just did a podcast with him, had several conversations with that guy. So, you know, the people that, that I have communicated with have really been awesome, man. They've been very supportive. It's definitely a close-knit community, and so far, my dealings with everybody have, have really been awesome. Oh, and uh, David Schrader as well from the Holzer Files. 
excellent dude put me on on his radio show and once in a while pops up on my social media and says something cool and supportive and I just think that's really awesome that's awesome and it's obviously everyone's working towards a common goal by the sounds of it but you did mention before Steve about the equipment that you guys use and I have to ask is there like is there a spot that you buy all this stuff from is it like eBay for ghost hunters or <laughs> and do you need a license or anything to well, use it <laughs> well no there you know there there are some certain places I'm trying to think off the top of my head like ghost stop is a website that I frequent and purchase things from and several different things and then of course there's individuals like there's a gentleman named George Brown that invented the geoport and he made a custom geoport for me for the series and it's an incredible piece of gear and we, we use it in all, almost every episode whether it made the final edit or not we did with shocking results so there's a lot of different places and a lot of different companies making different pieces of gear that's for sure yeah, that's interesting right there. And with the idea that anyone can sort of go out and pick this up, Steve, I was wondering, does it sort of frustrate you when a lot of unprofessionals sort of start messing around with these sort of things? Because I did notice in one of the episodes, the demon got attached to that one guy whose brother was a professional here, say. Is it sort of frustrating for you guys that are dealing with this all the time to see when, you know, just your average John or Ned go out <laughs> and get this and then all of a sudden they've got themselves in a spot of hot water, so to speak? Well, you know, I don't want to say that it frustrates me. I mean, it's like this. I mean, you know, we all sometimes do things that maybe that we're not ready for, even if our hearts are in the right place or if, if we think we're in the right place. I understand. I mean, people see what we do and they want to imitate that. I mean, it makes total sense. I, I, I understand. And I, and I never want to tell anybody that they should or should not pursue something that they're passionate about. But I guess what it comes down to is people need to be prepared, you know, and mm -hmm. through being prepared usually comes with experience. So it's not that it's frustrating, but it's alarming to some degree because sadly we hear about this stuff a lot where people will, you know, what does frustrate me, let, let's talk about what does. So what does frustrate me is when I see people going to specific hauntings, locations that are well documented to have demonic and human evil entities, knowing this and going there without really being prepared or even making light of it, almost like, yeah, come on, attach to me, I dare you, let's see this, you know. I mean, that to me, that is frustrating uh, mm -hmm. because it's dangerous and nothing good comes out of stuff like that. But as far as people that, you know, that really don't have malice intent and, and they truly want to go experience something paranormal, they're, they're on a quest of their own for whatever reason. I mean, let's face it, guys. I mean, that's one. Of, it's one of the biggest mysteries of the world, right? It's are we alone in the universe and what happens when you die? I mean, I don't know that there are any other questions that are more haunting of us as mortal beings, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, needless to say, I, I can totally understand people's fascination with it. They want to experience it. They want to investigate it. They want to put their mark on it. They want to have their take on what this could be. But all they need to understand is that it comes with risks, and you have to be prepared for that, and you have to recognize that. And you got, you know, and especially, man, especially when you're dealing with people's homes. Okay. Yeah. If you're if you're tromping around some abandoned house, you know, some dilapidated house in the middle of nowhere that's been vacant for a hundred years and falling apart, yeah, I mean be careful, do what you're gonna do. But at the end of the day, where it's very risky is when you get amateur investigators or people with no intentions that are less than savory going into a family's home and saying, Yeah, yeah, we can take care of this. Yeah. 
But, you know, and then they, they go in there and they provoke and they make things worse because all they want to do is obtain evidence and then walk away. That's not, you know, not good for the family. Well, most definitely it is not. And that sort of leads me into my next question. I was going to say, do you think entities smell fear? Like, for example, why is no one sort of latched onto Steve Shippy, whereas they will, you know, the frightened camera guy in the back? Well, I mean, I, I do think that to a degree, it's safe to say, in, in my opinion, that I do believe that a lot of these entities, they can sense when people have that fear. And when they do, I, I think they're more than likely going to mess with them or attack them or try to attach to them. Because if that's what their intent is, is to cause fear or misdirection or, or whatever intent they have, they're going to go for the weakest link, you know, and, and that's been seen and on multiple occasions. So, yeah, I definitely think that that's the case. It really is. Jeez, there you go. And as we sort of, I guess, dive a bit deeper into the you know, process that you go through, why is sort of some communication okay, I guess, with the other side, sort of like what you do, but then things like a seance is definitely a no-go. And as we saw in one episode, again, you know, an unprofessional, unqualified, I guess, or someone who didn't know what they were doing, performed one, and then this entity latched onto a person. What's your thoughts on the communication side, Steve? All right, well, first of all, that's an excellent question. It really is, because on one hand, you're saying, what's wrong with a handful of people sitting at a table trying to contact a spirit or summon something for a communication session and in us doing an EVP session? Well, I think that basically the way that I see it is if I'm investigating, I'm not trying to summon anything. I'm not trying to open doorways and allow something to come through or multiple things to come through. I'm trying to investigate what's already there. You know, just asking yeah. questions out loud based off the information that the family's giving you. So if I go into a house and of course, you know, there's a million things that we ask the family. Very little of that actually makes the cut because, you know, let's face it, we're taking a couple hundred hours and condensing it to 42 and a half minutes. But we ask the gamut of questions. What do you experience? When do you experience this? What rooms? What time of the day? What days of the week? What are the hot spots? So we're looking for patterns. That's what I'm doing is trying to develop a pattern of activity, trying to diagnose what kind of activity is this? Is it a residual haunting? Is it intelligent haunting? What's happening? Where am I most likely going to catch it? Is it mainly audio-based, visual? And then, of course, you know, you take all that information, you apply it to the specific room strategically with the right gear to get your best chances of catching something. But the key is something that's actually there, not something that you're trying to summon, you know, or, or conjure up through a seance. And I think that that's why seances are a little bit more, well, not a little bit more, much more dangerous because you are opening up a doorway yeah, and you don't know what's going to come through. That makes complete sense. It's a very different sort of intent, as you're saying. And, and I guess, Steve, you would spend a lot of time on the road, obviously being an investigator. And, you know, if Ned and I are off on a road trip, we'll pack a toothbrush and a, <laughs> and a comb and that. What's in your travel kit in terms of paranormal equipment? So, you know, I have a, a lot of different equipment that I bring with me. Uh, thermal imaging camera, SLS, motion sensors, of course, the good old trusty flashlight, digital recorder, analog cassette recorder, ITC devices like Spirit Box, Geoport, many different things, you know, infrared, full spectrum, different types of cameras, different types of visuals, basically a gamut of different things. Yeah, we wanted to know, man, like, have you ever sort of been, you know, like, travelling along, like, through a series or anything like this and just pulled over for, like, an impromptu sort of investigation? Like, has anything ever drawn you in, just, like, non-expected, you're driving along and then, bam, got to check that out? Has anything like that ever happened? 
Uh, well, I wouldn't say exactly that way, but I have participated in very impromptu investigations, like when I'm touring the country, doing music, that type of thing, and it's always without a doubt somewhere that will be, whether it's the owner of the venue, or sometimes it's the venue itself is haunted, you know, like the uh, Sunshine Theater in Albuquerque, very haunted location, and, and a horrible story there about why it is haunted. It's, it's terrible, actually. It's one of the worst stories I've heard. Very sickening and yeah, I'm sure you could Google that. And then also the Rave in Milwaukee, very haunted venue. And if it's not the venue itself, people that work there, you know, besides me doing music, they know what I do. So they'll say, hey, man, we got this place or my buddy owns this place or we have access to this, one of the most haunted locations in the state. Do you want to go there after the show tonight? Well, you know, I'm a sucker for that. So I'm like, <laughs> OK, let's go. And just end up finding yourself in some crazy situation. You sort of talk about some very serious things there, Steve. Are there any cases that you've just flat out refused to investigate or any that you've sort of noped out of at a certain point? And just before you answer this, I'm so excited to hear the answer to this question. I'm going to say no. We need a running bet. Well, okay. So to be honest with you, no. I mean, I I haven't ever turned anything down, but there are cases, though, you know, that really do stick with me. And of course, probably hands down, I would say Dice Road. I mean, you know, I'm still actively investigating that area many different homes out there and some of the same homes multiple times and, and, and it's just fascinating man it, it really is the Pomeranian farmhouse their story their family's history that whole case I mean literally it just it, it'll, it'll never leave me ever Jeez, and I guess sort of on that topic as well I mean we've heard so many stories through the series of all these small towns through America and it sort of made me think have you, have you sort of thought about a, an idea for another series just going to town to town investigating these sort of messed up things that have happened to these little communities? Because that's almost the scariest part is learning about what happened to these towns. Yeah, you know, I think you're completely right, man. And that's what the haunting in the heartland really is. You know what I mean? We're investigating cases that nobody else has investigated. I mean, you know, yeah, we did go to one infamous place and that was for a couple of reasons. Number one, the home I was renting for my week in Atchison, Kansas happened to be three doors down from the infamous Sally house. And then there was a few connections that we were trying to see if it was if it was possible or feasible that it could be contributing or attributing to the activity in the community and in the, the main house, the Dilgert house that we were investigating. But at the end of the day, we are sticking to cases that are very, they're not well known. And I, and I think that that's part of the attraction for me personally is going to these rural communities, towns I've never even heard of, like Heber in Kentucky, for example, never heard of that town, never been there. But then you find out all this fascinating history. Sadly, some of it not so good. And we're dealing with haunted communities in a sense. If you notice several of the episodes of Haunting in the Heartland, it's it's not just the house, but the people in the community feel as if the town is haunted, literally, mm. you know, and, and that's fascinating. It almost seems to be, I'm sure there's always exceptions, but it seems to be that the heartland region of the country has more of these types of hauntings than on the coast. Yeah, that's interesting right there. And I've got to say real quick too, Stephen, I, I had a bit of a chuckle when you ended up in that Sally house because I, I looked over at my wife who we were watching at the time and I'm like, I knew he was going to end up in there. I just I just had a feeling he just randomly pops up in another house. That was just, you just had to get in there, yeah? Yeah, you know, that's really what it was, man. At the end of the day, I really wanted to investigate it, you know, because when I knew I was going to Atchison, I, I kept thinking, well, I'm at least going to drive by the Sally house. I have to. And when I got to my area, 
Airbnb that was a, a huge house, a creepy house, by the way, with, with some activity, honestly, which is very interesting because I'm staying in a house that has activity while doing an investigation for a week. But anyway, so every day I would go out on the porch and just, you know, there it is, the Sally house right there. I, I could throw a rock and hit it. And I, and I just decided that it was worth looking into. And yeah, let's just say that that house certainly lived up to its reputation. The very little that was shown from the amount of several hours that we were there, the other things that took place, I think, were much more shocking than, than what we actually, what made the cut. Oh, I can only imagine because it sort of started and ended real quick, I guess, because it wasn't the actual featured property on the show. But I was like, wow, Ooh. it looked pretty crazy right there, man. And I wanted to know, do you sort of stay in contact with these people that you're helping out? Do you ever follow up on any of the investigations and, and that sort of thing? I do 100%, actually. In fact, if you guys ever get a chance, I've done several live videos on Travel Channel's Facebook page. And the last couple I did, I, I actually just made some impromptu calls directly to the people who we helped and who we spent time in their home and actually called them and spoke with them right on Facebook Live and asked them how things were going and how they felt about our time together, the investigation, what's the aftermath then, what's the updates. And I keep in personal contact with them as well. And that's something I've always done and that's something I'll always continue to do because, you know, my passion is in it, my heart's in it. If it wasn't, I wouldn't want to do this anymore. Jeez, and have you ever had any of these people be, I guess, attacked or anything pop up since you've been to see them? Interesting enough, and I'm definitely not surprised by this, but the Midcast family, Mike and Celeste, the first episode, it was called The Watchmen, took place in a small farming community of Merrill, Michigan, and also the subject of one of my haunted Saginaw films, A Haunting on Dice Road 2, yeah. Town of the Dead, available on, and you can stream all of those on Amazon Prime. I talked to Mike, and turns out him and his wife were in Florida for the last few weeks, actually, and he came home because I guess he had some problems with his furnace or something went wrong at the house. Probably somebody that was watching the house for him must have told him. He came back to fix it. When he came back, he spent some time working on it and he went to bed and was awakened by a bunch of crazy things, bro. And he actually, and I'm proud of him for this, he grabbed his phone, he hit record, and I think it's like a 12 or a 13 minute video. He's going through the house, you can hear toys going on by themselves, you hear some crash, bang, pictures are knocked off their wall and he's home alone. Now, I can tell you from experience, as much time as I've spent in that house, I know for a fact his video is authentic. I've experienced all of those things in their home. And what's really interesting too, bro, and this is something that we discussed on the phone while we were doing the live video, think about this. I mean, the story about Dice Road, one of the many parts of the legend out there is there was a small town called Iva, Michigan, IVA, Michigan. A pandemic swept through the town. They lost about 60% of their population. They had to quarantine the actual town off. They had to block the roads so people wouldn't come in and out. They burned the houses down of the victims because they didn't know how it was spreading. Everybody was paranoid. There was so much death. And we believe truly that a lot of the unrest out there as a result of this, well, now you have all this stuff going on today with the quarantining and, and a pandemic sweeping through. And 
and all this activity now is happening at their house and their house happens to be the last remaining building of the town of Iba. It's an old general store from the 1800s that they transformed into a home. So think about how crazy that is. Oh, we already have thought about that. The wife, once again, she jumped in and she goes, this is hitting far <laughs> too close to home with everything that's happening, you know, in the year 2020 now with the coronavirus and all that. And, and that episode was based all around that. So yeah, 100%. So you're, that's the actual last remaining building. It is. It's the only remaining building. And what's really interesting is when you, when you dig up all the history on the house, the available history, you find out that one of the owners of that old general store during that time frame paid off a couple of people to not burn the building down because it was definitely slated to be burned down because you got to think, right? It's a general store. They were serving food and meat and, and, and all kinds of, you know, all these things and all these people were coming and going from it because it was the only commerce. It was the only establishment. So everybody wanted to have that thing burned down too because surely if this thing is contagious, that place is contaminated as hell. Yeah, uh, but because reckon. the guy was wealthy, yeah, he, he paid off the right people and, and, it, and it escaped being burned down. That is crazy right there. And while we're on the subject of previous <laughs> ones, we need to know, Prozac, the, one of the ones we just had to ask you about was the investigation that you did. And I know we said we're not going to talk too much about the particular investigations, but the lovely couple that lived in the house where the murder was, there was still blood on the walls and on the carpet, man. <laughs> well, I just couldn't believe that. Even the look of shock on your face. Is that all sorted out now? They got rid of the blood? <laughs> Actually, you know what? Yeah. Allison and Tony from that episode in Hebron, Kentucky. Again, I, one of the Facebook lives that I did on Travel Channel, I called her and, and Allison talked to me. And luckily she said that since we've been there, everything has been okay. She's not being scratched anymore. She's not being attacked anymore. They're still sleeping in their own bed. They're living life. And that's amazing. And yes, she did send me pictures that they did rip up the carpet. And God, <laughs> dude, it, was, dude, it was it was actually pretty horrible because the picture that she sent me, the carpet was like pulled up. You could see where it was still there. It was folded over. So they pulled over that one spot specifically. And you could literally see an outline of a person underneath the carpet. Oh, where the body, Yeah, dude, it was terrible. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, you want to talk about sickening. I mean, the people that rented that house to them leaving it like that I mean come on man and wasn't that a church that's what Anna again yeah, my wife door. was saying to me like yeah. oh, the lovely church next door is just renting out the murder house with the blood stains and the dead body on the carpet <laughs> as you do like, you know like, oh, we yeah. bewildered with that yeah I think that makes it so much worse to me like why would they rent the home in that condition to anybody I mean what, what does it really cost to rip up one room of carpet and replace it yeah exactly. that's crazy just crazy exactly yeah, we were shocked. Yeah, I was a bit <laughs> the same, man. But while you're in these investigations, yeah, Steve, and this is actually a question that my fiance passed on to ask you, can anyone feel these presences like you can? Like, can it be channeled or does it sort of take a special type of person to come in as we're talking about here and you can actually feel what's happened and work out, you know, what the issue is? You know, I think that's kind of a multifaceted question. So, number one, I'm going to go back to experience. Experience, experience, experience. 
experience. How many cases have you done? Mm. Uh, how many things have you witnessed? How many places have you been? Because at the end of the day, man, it kind of like with anything, the more that you do something, you're going to be cued into a lot of subtleties and nuances. You're going to feel those cold spots a little quicker than the average person is. You're tuned into the environment, you know, because you know what you're dealing with. You know what, what you're working with, that you've been there before multiple times. So I think experience is a huge part of that. And also, I think that with certain people, not everybody, but with certain people, I believe that there is a gift of being tuned into things like this. And I think maybe for me personally, I've dealt with a haunting when I was a young kid. And this has always been in my life. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 100%. And even you just saying that now, Steve, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, what is downtime for Steve Shipman? <laughs> like, you know, we were saying like, Steve, well, he's just been up all night. He's been battling ghosts. He's got, you know, these satanic cults and whatever that is sort of, you know, you, you're taking all this sort of stuff on. How do you just sort of step away from that? You know, I don't really get a lot of downtime, man, to be honest with you. Like, let me give you an example of last year. So last year, I shot an investigation documentary that took about two months worth of investigating a haunting on Brockway Street and got done with that, spent four months editing that film together. I do all of that by myself. So months and months of post-production, editing everything, going through several hundred hours of footage, analyzing footage, and then also traveling around the country and then conducting six investigations for Haunting in the Heartland as well and then coming back and then preparing for a red carpet premiere of 4,000 people. So, you know, once all that's done, the year is gone. Yeah, it makes so. sense. <laughs> I guess it makes sense. I was more sort of saying just even the next day, like, you know what I mean? You've been up all night, you've you've been battling, you just get up, all right, I'm just going to have my cornflakes and- coffee and my cornflakes and, yep, now I'm going to go battle the devil. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a special sort well, see, number one, you, you said something a lot more precious and amazing than you realized. Coffee <laughs> is probably my favorite thing in the world. I'm a very huge espresso coffee small batch coffee freak aficionado you know that type of thing so but you know that's one of my passions coffee it truly is that's about my decompression right there that sort of makes sense I suppose and coffee is a passion for all of us (laughs) Steve here's a bit of a, a trickier question for you and if you can't say help a situation how do you sort of escalate it do you call someone else do you ring the Vatican or I mean the Ghostbusters or like have you ever had a situation where you can't help somebody well, you know, yes. Now, when you say, I, I believe that, I, that I'm always able to help somebody, but not always able to finish what they truly need done. You know, I mean, I can help them in many different ways, but sometimes it does come to that point, you know, if it's if it's a hardcore demonic case where somebody is being oppressed or even to the stage of possession, something like that, which did happen with Haunting in the Heartland. In fact, it was the season finale. That was the episode that was chosen to be the last one that, that played. That was the case. We were in a small town of Melbourne, Iowa, and we were dealing with this situation. You know, again, like you said, not to give away too much, but at the end of the day, I recognized all the signs, everything that was happening to be truly a demonic haunting, and I believe that somebody was under the, the stage of oppression leading into possession, so we brought out a demonologist to come out and, and perform a minor rite of exorcism. Oh, Ooh. yeah. It's <laughs> creepy. <laughs> so, and you've actually kind of turned me off asking this next question, Steve, but let's just say Ned and I actually wanted to become paranormal investigators, look up our YouTube series. How would you recommend we start or would you recommend we don't start? 
Well, I would recommend, I mean, number one, understand the risks. Understand that, that it's a serious thing. It, it truly is. It, it's nothing to play around with. Just to capture evidence is not worth risking yourselves or making a, ba a bad situation worse for other people. And if you were really serious about doing it, I wouldn't take any residential cases right away. I, I would stick to abandoned homes or commercial properties. I would not do any provoking. I would not do any instigating. I would simply observe. If I were you guys, I would try to master the art of interviewing people, trying to understand what they think they're experiencing versus what they truly are experiencing, corroborating that with eyewitnesses. You know, information, guys. I mean, it's, it's the most valuable part of it is getting all the information from everybody. What did you see? Get the facts first. What did you see? Explain it to me. Where did you see it? What was it? And then start asking more subject subjective questions. What do you think it is? Why do you think it's there? You see what I'm saying? So it's like you, you have opinion, you have fact, and then sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll have recordings or security camera footage, something tangible. You can look at that and then cast your net very wide. Talk to everybody involved. Dig up more leads. Really understand what's happening before you go in there with the purpose of investigating the paranormal. Yeah, I, I like what you said right there. And the whole time you were saying that, I was looking over at John, Steve, and he's there nodding away. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> I just like to say I have absolutely no intention, <laughs> no intention at all of ever going down that path. I think it definitely takes a certain type, and that is you, my friend. And with that being said, when will we get to see a season two of this amazing series? I guess we'll find out. I was told recently that it should only be a few weeks before I hear something based on that. And, and you know, and I, and I hope it does happen. I think the reaction has been phenomenal, you know, from the feedback from the fans. I don't know how much of this emergency that we're all dealing with with the coronavirus and how much that's going to affect things or the outcomes, you know, of, of a lot of things right now. But either way, I think it was an amazing experience. I see the feedback from, from the supporters, from the fans. I know that they loved it. And either way, I will continue to do what I do, as I have for the last 20 years and, and I'm filmed the last 10. Well, that's exactly right. Like I've said to you in the past, you sort of only just a really, it's a tip of the iceberg at the moment. You're talking about the heartland in America. There's places out here in Australia. Next question is, and of course, all this coronavirus stuff is, take that into consideration. But will we see you out here one day, man? We've been trying for years to get you out here, not just on the music side of things, but you can get out here and bring out the Ghostbuster equipment and check out some stuff out here, man, because there is a lot of places. You know, I mean, I've known you guys for a long time, man. And I think I think it's at that point where we have to do something, you know? If I come out there, let's at least do one concert and let's do a couple of investigations. And you guys are going to you guys got to come with me. That sounds amazing. And I can picture right now, Steve, you and me, we'll be out there doing all the stuff and Ed'll be hiding in the car. <laughs> Been Scooby Shaggy style. <laughs> Someone's got to look at the that true? Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're like, you know, hey, I, I'm going to cover these batteries. Ain't nothing going to happen <laughs> with these batteries. You guys go ahead and do what you got to do. If we can get him to leave the house, that is. Switching things up just a little bit here. But you know what, though? You guys, you guys got some stuff there that's scarier than some of what we have here. You're aware of that. Man, just down the road, we've got a place, lunatic asylums and all sorts of stuff oh, yeah. here, right here. I've been telling you about this for years, man. You need to get here. Net. Yeah. Brown snakes. 
No brown snakes. I'm not, yeah. I'm not concerned about the brown snakes, man. I, I would take them any day over the paranormal. Well, I mean, at least, you know, when we're investigating here in the States, with the exception of certain places, rattlesnakes, black widows, brown recluse spiders, you guys got some pretty deadly things going on down there, bro. Mm, we do. Yeah, very yeah. true. Yeah, very, very true. Hey, just to switch things up a bit, Steve, other than your own work, uh, are there any other recommendations that you'd have for us in the horror genre, like movies, TV shows, documentaries in particular, anything that you enjoy watching? I'm not proud to say this, but I just recently fell down the rabbit hole of the Tiger King. <laughs> and uh, so a couple of days ago, people are like posting all this stuff and I'm like, what the hell is the Tiger King? Like, I, I thought it was like a parody of the Lion King. You know? I'm like, what is this? So people keep talking about it and then finding myself a little more free time than usual being quarantined basically I decided to watch it now it's interesting because I start to watch this and at first of all I'm like what the hell am I watching what is this is this real but then it dawns on me that I've seen some of this stuff before so I called up my friend Judd that I used to work with and I said bro you gotta be kidding me is this the guy and he's like oh my god you are you watching the, you know, the Tiger King I'm like yeah so a friend of mine about five years ago somehow ended up at this gas station, tiger zoo, whatever you want to call it. And he calls me when he gets on the tour bus and he's like, dude, I'm telling you right now, like I just saw the most craziest shit you've ever heard of in your life. And he's telling me about this guy and, and his husbands and, and the, you know, his face on condoms and coffee cups and beef jerky and there's lions. And I'm like, and he's a country singer. I'm like, what, dude, what are you talking about? Like, what, what is this? Is this real? Like this guy does all these different things. He's a country singer. He's a lion, he's a lion tamer. He's got a gas station. He's got a restaurant. He's like, dude, it's real. I swear to God. And he starts sending me music videos. I forgot all about this. So come to find out, I actually knew about Joe Exotic years ago. Oh, but, um, I was just about to say, that is amazing yeah. right there. Don't say too much more because I've said to John, after you finish the Haunted in the Heartland paranormal binge, your next thing on yeah. quarantine is Tiger King because I've just wrapped it up as well, Stephen. Uh, just unbelievable that that is real. It is. Yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it for anybody, but, but I will say it's a lot crazier than, than I thought it was. And it seemed like every episode would end with something even crazier. And then you just thought, okay, does it really get crazier than this? And then it does. <laughs> it does. So. It, it does. They're the two best things I've seen in, in okay. months. Two very different things right there. Yeah. The Haunted in the Heartland and the Tiger King. <laughs> Definitely must watch. That's crazy that you've been there before. It's uh, That spins me out. But thank you so much for taking some time out. You've given us a lot more time than what we were really expecting. So one last thing, please. I mean, can you let us know about the documentary coming out in October? Number 11, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, Haunting 11. The 11th installment of the Haunted Saginaw film series, A Haunting on Brockway Street 2. And my God, did that turn out to be something that we never expected. You know, all I can tell you is sometimes you think you know what you're dealing with and you're pretty confident in that fact. And then sometimes a case will completely turn upside down on you and you'll find out that you were completely off the mark and things were a lot worse than you ever, ever imagined. Oh, suspense there, man. I can't wait. And look, one final question to finish up on. What scares you, Steve Shippy? What are you terrified of? Not being able to help people that are being attacked in their own home and somehow it getting worse 
and not better. Oh, great answer to the question right there. And second may have been Joe Exotic. <laughs> you know, I would be very afraid of Joe Exotic, I think. <laughs> I think we all are. Well, Damn. thank you so much for taking some time out. The series is called Haunting in the Heartland. It is out now. You can check it out on Amazon. Travel channel as well, yep. Johnny. Like you said, too, you check back in with some of the people you've had on the show. That's all on the Travel Channel Facebook, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, be sure to check this man out. Steve Prozac Shippy, one of our favorite people in yeah. the world. I'm going to say that right there. I think you were on our second ever edition of The Underground way back in 2010. We've been talking to you for years, man, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm an OG at this point, man. That's why we got to do something together. Let's do it. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. Definitely, definitely. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.